Welcome to the Let's Talk Futures podcast. Trading futures, options, and futures involves substantial risk of loss is not suitable for all investors. I think we are live. This is Jim Cagnina with Infinity Futures. Hi, this is Marco Bertulia with Infinity Futures. And welcome to our second ever podcast. I would say welcome to episode number one. Oh, this is episode number one, right? So the first one didn't. First one failed. <laughs> so we're starting over again. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about crude oil, uh, crude oil futures in particular which is a very popular market traded at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange on their Globex Electronic Marketplace. Yeah, this is uh, actually a big topic. You would figure that for the first episode we think uh, something lighter, but all right, we'll go. It's, well, uh, this is good though, because in the era of kind of lower volatility in some of the other markets, crude gives traders some more opportunity maybe. Yeah, no, it's true, definitely true, even though that also has been controversial because of the algo influences, but we're probably not going to talk about that. Algo influences, report influences, like the yes. EIA, Energy Information yeah. Administration report that came out today. Yeah, actually, that is, uh, I think, I'd say that my biggest pet peeve, and this is the reason why we want to do something like this, because I have all the times customers that come to me and say, um, I'm a big crude oil trader. And then uh, the day after, they asked me, what happened, Marco? What, what happened with that spike in the crude? I said, what do you mean, what happened? The 9.30 report came out. Oh, there was a report on 9.30? Yeah, and you should know about it. So in other words, there's not a lot to know about crude. Well, there is a lot, but you should at least focus on the basics. Well, and, and part of the basics, there's two weekly reports, right? Yeah, one of which nobody knows about. Okay, well, let's start with the one nobody knows about. Well, the one nobody knows about, or actually most people know about it, but I'm, I'm joking. There's a, a report that comes on Tuesday afternoon. Um, it's 3.30 Central, 4.30 Eastern, and it's uh, issued by the American Petroleum Institute. It's kind of an unofficial report. It's a, sort of a voluntary disclosure of production, of oil production in the United States. It's, and it's kind of the stepchild report to the, the big one that everybody refers to, the EIA report, right? The yeah, that's, that's I, I, I guess that would be one way to, yeah, define okay. it. Okay, now both reports though, they I think they're a little bit delayed, right? So they, uh, what they attempt to do is, I, what I think they attempt to do is figure out the overall uh, crude oil stock, or how much crude oil is in the system, uh, based based on reporting that they accumulate, uh, and it's delayed by four or five days, right? Yeah, something like that. And it's yeah, basically the jargon is crude oil inventories for both. But one again is issued by the American Petroleum Institute. Stepchild. And that's a private entity? Yeah, and it's a volunteer disclosure, so that's why it's not as official, because apparently it's uh, roughly 90% of the big oil producers are actually doing this disclosure. So not mandatory, not enforceable, like the EIA that you mentioned. And both reports cover the United States only, correct? Yes, okay. correct. Production in the United States. Okay. And the EIA... Uh, 
Energy uh, Institute Administration Information Sorry. Administration. That's actually a subset of the Department of Energy. It's an official government thing, and the head of it's appointed by the president, confirmed by the Congress or Senate rather, and. Um, they do a weekly report also based on data they acquire up to five days before. Correct. And that actually comes 9.30 Central Time or 10.30 Eastern. Uh, we say Eastern because crude oil originally is a product futures-based traded in the NYMEX exchange, which was off New York. So uh, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, and it's every Wednesday, unless, Jim, do you know why sometimes does not come on Wednesday? Well, for instance, we could have a holiday like the 4th of July, and it'll push everything back a day. Yes. So next week, it's going to be on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens? Because at third and Thursday, there is a net gas report at 9.30, so... Well, maybe they push that back, too. Actually, I think what happens is they still issued at 9.30 natural gas and at 10, they have the crude oil. Ah, okay. So. Yeah, they need that. They can't have that holiday. They gotta. They have to have that extra data to hit the submit button or to, or, or, or to, or to rig the count, so to speak. So anyway, we, I think we already covered a lot yeah. that some people might not have uh, uh, known before. But anyway. Well, the, the big number, though, the big thing to look at, I mean, this report has all, all, whole, all sorts of numbers in them, right? They're tracking all sorts of different kinds of, uh, uh, of, of petroleum, all, all kinds of different uh, uh, products within that, within that category. And the one that they seem to look at the most is what is, um, the, you know, excluding the uh, strategic uh, petroleum reserve, what is the, uh, the commercial uh, crude oil uh, stock or inventory number? Right. And how does that relate to the previous week, the previous year, and everything else that's going on? Correct. And it's all, by the way, and I know that most people out there are smart enough to know, but every number it's crucial only compared to the expectation. So the analysts, the crude ex experts, really play a big role here. It's not the number itself that matters, but the expectation or the official release compared to the expectation. So we had a couple, all right, so that's a great point. So going into today's numbers, an example, um, we, had a, we had a couple of different uh, expert Expectations, right? One one was a drawdown of 2.1 million uh, barrels. The other, uh, by S S&P Global Plants, as an example, pretty credible. They were they were uh, expecting a, a drawdown of 3.25. Right, and I think Forex Factory, or that goes according to other market analysts, they were expecting a drop of 2.5 million. So, basically, a significant drop compared to. And what happened? Well, what happened is that. That didn't happen, and by the way, the stepchild had a very conflicting number yesterday, which was Tuesday again, 3:30 Central, and they were actually issuing or forecasting an oversupply. So that's uh, that was a very conflicting number that sometimes happens, sometimes happens, and that's why the market actually yesterday reacted in a very bearish way, right on the report at 3:30 at a spike down, which recovered right away today, of course, as we know. Okay, but then the EIA came out today with uh, what uh, 117,000 barrel increase, which was pretty much unchanged. You know, yes. but it was significantly different than what was expected. Correct, minor, minor change. Minor okay. Change. Now the odd thing, though, the market reaction to that wasn't bearish. It was 
It was bullish. Right. And I guess because probably they were expecting after the yesterday API a much more bearish number. So they thought, oh wow, we're gonna so, have okay. another bearish number and therefore we're gonna have to sell this one instead. They were caught off guard, so to speak. Okay, so in relation to what happened the day before, uh, we had we had a different reaction to the market than we would traditionally expect when the numbers are so different. Correct. And this is why it's important, I think, to know the expectation and then to watch the number carefully to see what the market is doing accordingly. And I also heard that uh, the gasoline drawdown had something to do with uh, the, the spike upward in crude oil prices after the release of the report. Right. So gasoline is a refined product, and obviously uh, it relies upon heavily upon the crude oil production, as many of you, folk, of course, know. Uh, but it's yeah, somewhat related. So okay. and it's it all comes out in the same report. All right, and it's the summer driving season here in the U.S. Right. So demand should be higher, and there, I think I read 17 million barrels are being processed now and then uh, by the end of the year it'll be down less than 16 million because the demand is gone right so the big question is will the producers keep producing or will they stem it to take into account the demand factor over the next few months right. and by the way this is actually something interesting that I read and I think uh, we should talk about it uh, United States produces a large amount of oil. We have the largest production that we've had in quite a few years. So people wonder why do we still import oil if we actually are a large producer and we actually have inventories back up and build up. And I read it's because the oil that we actually refine is not the same oil that we actually import. So we still import heavily from uh, Venezuela and Mexico, but the oil that we import is uh, heavier. Uh, and we actually have the capacity, our refineries in the US have the capacity to refine that kind of oil. While on the other hand, they can export lighter oil or gasoline to other countries. So, so it's kind of a two-way channel that uh, is working. And that's why you know people would wonder, why are we still doing this? We have so much oil. But that's, so, that's so it's not because of the dock workers union. This is I I wouldn't go for that. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle here. A lot of things are moving around. A lot of different types of information floating around. And a lot of the uh, crude oil traders are glued to these statistics every day to try to anticipate price movement. What other external factors are important? How how important is OPEC as an as a matter as an example to uh, these types of quant numbers? That's a great question. And I mean, we do understand, guys, that this is a large topic and we can't possibly cover every nuance. And uh, we're not experts in crude oil. We're just, uh, you know, traders and market analysts, brokers, and so forth. But um, well, we could keep talking. I paid the power. The electric bill through the end of the month. I mean, we've got, we got a lot we more days. We get talking, but they won't be still listening. Okay. Um, yeah, so OPEC is obviously the wild factor, I would say, wild card, right? So I think we're currently we have 14 members. Uh, weirdly enough, they're mostly Arab, Arab countries, but the headquarters is in Vienna. And uh, they have meetings, ordinary meetings, every once in a while. 
Uh, and there's definitely something going on there because some countries are not really enforcing the OPEC guidelines. Others are in and out. Um, so j just to recap a little bit, o o OPEC is like a, c a cartel, right? So they all get together and they decide, uh, kind of like the Federal Reserve, they decide what they want the price, what, what they want the target price of crude oil to be. You actually kind of nailed it involuntarily. I think it's they, the purpose is to stabilize price of oil. That's their really main purpose. They don't want, obviously, the price to go too low because there's nations inside OPEC that heavily, almost exclusively rely on oil production. So they want to prep the, the, the price up if there is an oversupply. And lately it seems like they've been going outside the club, going outside the cartel, and recruiting other oil-producing countries to, to kind of go with the program. Right. Russia's an example. Yeah. So to recap, there is United States, non-OPEC. 14 countries like uh, Nigeria, Venezuela, Angola, Iran, Iraq, uh, Kuwait, OPEC. Then there is Russia, non-OPEC. So, and I think Russia, it's the biggest oil producer right now in the world. So OPEC is definitely relevant uh, and it still makes the news, but not as relevant as when, you know, there is a, probably a war in the Middle East or something like that. So there is uh, it's definitely a factor that people should know about, and uh, definitely get you know the calendar for the meetings because you if you trade in oil you want to know when OPEC uh, is meeting. That's all I want to say. Okay, right. So that it, it's kind of when, when I made the analogy to the Fed before, it's kind of like you know when there's a Fed meeting and there's an interest rate announcement, then things happen and it's it's eagerly anticipated. So it's similar to that in that regard. Now the United States isn't part of this whole deal, right? There we're independent. We're on yeah. our own. We're doing our own thing, we're importing, we're exporting, we're producing, we're refining. Uh, and I think, by the way, also in the United States there are rules to stabilize prices and there's uh, actually laws that prohibit the United States to export too much oil. Okay, but internally within, uh, within the country, you've got, you have this free market type of dynamic where, where the uh, producers will either start producing or start drilling new rigs or start turning on dormant rigs um, when it's economically advantageous and when they predict that it's, you know, over a period of time, the present value of their investment will generate an ROI. That's, 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 that's you know, it's desirable. So uh, they don't care so much about uh, what their competitors are doing within the United States because they're doing their own business. Um, so the f frackers have come in and innovated and reduced their costs of operations almost on a continuous basis now. And some say in some of the areas of Texas, um, they could be profitable at 30, $32 a barrel. Wow. Yeah, I thought initially it was about 40 but I guess, yeah, it's getting more and more competitive. I guess technology is... Uh, Definitely making a lot of progress. So why don't you explain a little bit about fracking? Well, it's 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 a dirty word here in the U.S. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's in the early days it was considered an environmental catastrophe, right? So you would you you would drill, uh, and you would uh, basically inject, you know, liquid and sand and some nasty chemicals into the ground to uh, release and capture whatever whatever you can. 
uh, whether it's natural gas or, 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 or oil or, or whatever you're trying to get out. And uh, in the early days, it was uh, considered an environmental catastrophe. We were ruining, you know, we were polluting, we were ruining, ruining the land. And, and, but over time, what's happened is the wells have gotten deeper and more efficient and uh, better controlled. So I think some of that uh, urgency uh, has dissipated. And the technology is just improving all the time. So uh, the frackers could have an advantage over the traditional types of uh, production, uh, which appears to be the trend. So going forward, I, you know, I don't see it. I don't see it slowing down. I see it continuing. So we've talked about some of the basics. Um, let's bring it back to what you know our main, our customers' main main market: the uh, light, sweet, crude, or WTI uh, futures contract at the CME. Ticker ticker symbol CL. Yeah. Uh, first of all, this is different from Brent, which is another very popular futures contract, but is uh, crude oil basically outside of the United States mostly outside of the United States, so the brand C. Uh, yeah, CL is the currently the most liquid contra future. Uh, definitely one of the most popular markets that our customers are trading. Um, it became extremely popular, I'd say, I don't know, I wanna say in the last five years, would you say before there was a lot of actions in the indices, the bonds. Yeah, and you've seen the bid, the bid has spread tighten to one tick most of the day. Um, you've seen the depth of market get thicker and thicker over time. Um, you know, we did, I think we did 65,000 contracts in five minutes after the number was released today. Right. So it was, a, you know, there, there, there's players in there and there's different kinds of players, right? You've got the, uh, you got the hedgers, you have the speculators, you have the position and day traders, right? Yeah, I think actually mostly it's a good thing, bad thing. I think the volume has increased dramatically because I believe right now uh, at lower prices, the algos, the high frequencies have really stepped in. So the high frequencies are great because, of course, they provide liquidity. Bad because when the news is absent, they kind of manipulate the market. They dance with the market. They bounce the price back and forth. So, in other words, uh, it's a good thing to have depth of market liquidity, uh, but you should really be careful and avoid the noise as much as possible. And uh, usually, high frequencies algos. For those that don't know, they try to stay away from the news. They don't risk. Their their game is zero risk. It's almost like an arbitrage. So they always want to have a profit guaranteed. Uh, and if there's a news, which means in an aspected scenario, uh, and in a, of course exceptional volatility, they try to stay away. So during the most of the the rest of the time, they're playing along with the range, and that's what they're smart retail traders should actually be aware of and actually being able to take advantage of those uh, moves and uh, to, to his advantage so yeah but you know we're if the if 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 the if the market's trading 61 bid at 62 and you know you, you don't get until you get you you might get the 63s uh, plus your caught your transaction costs and, and and the cost of the spread um, you're, it's still it's still a small tick, right? It's still a ten dollar per contract 
okay. tick to enter. Yeah, which so, is small and big because if you're paying uh, less than ten dollars in commission with just one tick, you cover amply your costs. Right, but we know scalping this stuff is really hard, and you, let, you know we're not competing with algos. We're not scalping is is hard to do. So most of our customers, right, well, they'll go on and they'll try to you know make five, six, seven, eight, nine ticks or more um, in a trade. Their typical uh, horizon isn't one tick. No, and it wouldn't be advantageous, right? right. Because it's, they'll go for one tick and lose 10, so. Right, yeah. it's a bad strategy. And it is still, the market is still volatile enough and thin enough, so it does move around. It's a little popcorn-like, right? It bounces around a little bit. Um, this doesn't hang on one price forever. Uh, like a 30-year bond does, and then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> that, and then all of a sudden it moves a lot, but uh, the bonds that is. Um, but so, yeah, so uh, the position trading and even the day trading folks do have some opportunities. Today, after the number, uh, you know, when the number was released today, that five-minute bar, so at 9.30, crude was trading at 43.93, and then at the end of that five-minute period, well, the high of, the high within that five-minute period was 44.76. So we're talking an 83-tick, uh, an 83-tick range in that five minutes. And again, it was number-driven, so it was bigger than typically. But that's, how much money would that be? So 830 bucks. 800, right, so 83 ticks times $10 is $830 range. Now, of course, you could have been on the wrong side of that if you were short instead of long, so be careful. Uh, but that opportunity pops up uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I would say statistically about three currently, year 2017, current price range, statistically about three days out of five, you have a decent move. But we can actually make a play. But then again, there's folks there, they're glued to the screen 10 hours a day, and they're constantly forcing the action. And uh, one of the key in trading guys is patience. So prepare and be patient. And I think this is what really we're trying to convey here. We're not really talking about just the details of crude, but we're talking about a general strategy that you must adopt and a general preparation routine that you must adopt before you trade every market, you know? Right. Would you go in a cage against uh, Conor McGregor without would, never fought? I wouldn't go in a cage against... Your wife. <laughs> my, for sure not my wife. I could not, I'm not getting into a cage match with her. We know how that would end. It would end all good. But yeah, no, I understand that. But also, you know, there's other, there's other, other players in this market, right? So you have the bonafide hedgers, we'll call them. Those are institutions that... Um, are hedging or locking in a price because their expectation is either bullish or bearish in the long run. Well, yeah, so what are they? Probably transports, huge, right? Every big transport, um, like companies, airlines, they hedge. Um, I know for a fact that they try to speculate a little bit there. Um, they, they don't hedge 100%, but a good edge for them is 75-80% of the total that they expect the budget. Well, in the, in, the, in, the, in the oil companies themselves, right? So the, the producers themselves are, are doing that. Yeah, so those players, though, are long position. They just put a price, they sometimes do swaps, they sometimes do futures. So they just put a price in and that's it. But you could track the general behavior over a period of time. We know the CFTC releases a report called the Commitment of Traders Report, 
which tracks the big hedger's positions. And they'll tell you, are they long, are they short, how much are they long, or how much are they short. And you can see that change over a long period of time. So you can kind of get a flavor for market bias. Not only, the report also, uh, also covers the big speculators. So you can see over time how uh, the big speculators and the hedgers are adjusting their portfolios. And again, it's not real-time data, but it gives you another piece of information, another piece of the puzzle um, to decide uh, to decide on that. And what, uh, if you're tracking anybody on Twitter, uh, track John Kemp. Uh, he's with Reuters, and he he, he kind of does these charts of commitment to traders reports and all sorts of charts. They're they're, they're wonderful. They're on Twitter. His name is John Kemp. But anyway, I've, I've digressed. Um, so you you, ha you have these big players that are involved, and then you have you have um, uh, you know hedge funds and, and and investment managers. Well, you got the all ETFs uh, guys that they invest in uh, in crude. The people that have to invest in crude because they have funds managing trillions that invest in crude ETFs, so they're long. Right, so you you know, so you're an expert on ETFs. I don't know anything about ETFs, and so so explain how it would work. A, a regular energy ETF. Well, they they put up a fund. Uh, there's different kinds. Of course, USO currently is the most uh, liquid one, I would say, and they just along the crude. There is also short crude ETFs and so forth. There's short everything. They're not very effective. I mean, I wouldn't even worry about it right now. But yeah, they just they're fun. So they invest in crude oil, and they keep rolling it over so that they're constantly and perpetually long crude. And then, you know, the retail investor, or maybe even a not-so-retail investor, can invest in their ETF on crude. So that's, uh, that, that would, basically it's a one strategy, though, index. Okay, so, right, so, but our customer, our typical customer, uh, is in it for a short amount of time, whether it's the same day, day trader or a swing trader over you know a couple days or a week or whatever um, and the nice thing about the CME group product is it's um, you know although there's of course tremendous amount of risk involved in doing this for for the folks at home um, but the cost for entry is is, is, is low so what's the overnight margin for uh, right now as we speak is at roughly a little bit about three thousand Okay, so, come down dramatically. So, so for that three thousand, um, you could have a position either long or short in crude, and it's a thousand barrel contract, right? And actually, yes, and that's great that you just said that long and short, which I think it's kind of a key here, because that kind of uh, distinguishes crude from other products, like for example, the indices. The indices have had a long bias for quite a while, right? So there's, you got the customers. Yeah, the stock indices. You got the customers that always want to fade it, don't believe it. <laughs> the, the doom and gloom scenarios, they're constantly shorting. I'm going to fade this since 2008. <laughs> Keep rolling it over, baby. Uh, but crude oil, there's no real bias. There's no. People switch back and forth all day long. Today, I'm long. Two hours from now, I'm short. It doesn't matter. Right. 
Right. But the, the macro, from a macro point of view, you do see long term. You know, we were at one hundred and six dollars not yeah. too long ago, and now we're right. in the forties. Right. It is a danger to believe that crude oil cannot go any lower, and so it is an investment vehicle for the long term. But definitely, there's definitely funds that invest only on the long side. I hate it when people say. Oh, Jim, I can't go any lower. I'm, I'm going to buy it. Well, that's not a trade idea. That, 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 yeah, it could go lower. <laughs> and it will now that you said that. So forget that. Don't say that anymore. Right. Uh, but the thing is, crude oil traders look for volatility, right? That is the key that attracts futures traders. Volatility. Yeah. There's really nothing else. And liquidity, of course. But volatility is better, naturally, when the price is higher. Higher price of crude, higher ranges. Price drops percentage-wise, price rises percentage-wise. So it's a better market environment. So what I'm saying is that we should look for a price of crude to be a little bit more sustained. We don't want to see crude below $30. Because that will make for a very small opportunities. Because you know that the, the ranges are going to decrease. They're, gonna, they're not going to stay to one point ranges. Yeah, but you know, if you look at right, but if you look at the, uh, if you just plot an average daily range on a daily basis of, you know, the front month in crude, and you're going to get, uh, you know, between one point three and one point four. So that's a pretty nice average daily range. Yeah, it is very nice. Yeah, back and forth if you're smart. Yeah. Anyway, well, let me remind everybody, trading futures, option on futures, and about substantial risk of loss, not suitable for all traders. Um, you get a lot of leverage, a lot of volatility. There's a combination of forces and uh, a lot of opportunity there, a lot of risk there. So be careful with that. So we've been rambling for a while now, and I think I think I think episode one is 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 in the, is in the tank. It's a wrap. So any what I'd like to invite the audience to do, well, there's going to be an episode two and three and four, hopefully. Um, any 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 questions, comments, feedback, topics you're interested in, shoot them over to us at trade t r a d e at infinityfutures.com. Uh, this is Jim and Marco, and we'd be happy to uh, do some research for you. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a good day.